0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, book lovers. My name is Em, and I want to talk about books and cats. Hey, book lovers, welcome back. I'm sorry I missed last week, but life, you know, sometimes things just don't work out. (laughs) It was a rough one last week. I've also been pretty deep into editing for the last few weeks, and I got a little behind on my reading. Editing can really suck me in for like hours. It's pretty intensive, and it takes all of my focus. So... I've lost some days to editing, (laughs) which isn't a bad thing because the book's got to get done. So luckily, I did choose a pretty short novel for this week. It's, uh, It's a YA novel. There's also a movie version to it. And it is a super interesting combination of two of my favorite genres, horror and romance, which is a very interesting combo. And, you know, it's kind of appropriate because I am recording this on Valentine's Day. so. I guess this is sort of a Valentine's Day episode. You can be the judge of that. (laughs) Anyway, today's book has a super interesting premise. It is essentially a coming-of-age cannibal story. Cannibals in love? I don't know. I want to talk about Bones and All by Camille DeAngelis. So I'm sure most of you know that there is also a movie version of this book. I'm going to cover both today. But before I read the book, I had not seen the movie, and I hadn't really heard anything about it. I'd seen a few ads, but, you know, they didn't really tell you much. I knew there was cannibalism. That was pretty much it. <laughs> I like to go into books without knowing much about any of it, I, especially if there's a movie. I don't want somebody else's imagery, like, already in my mind, you know? And I do tend to agree that the books are usually better than the movie, I feel like you can add so much more detail in ways that you really just can't with film, like all the internal stuff, you know? Thoughts, feelings, psychology. Those are hard things to, like, put into a visual form. So I think that's really the reason books are better, usually. I honestly usually try to view them as two separate things because most of the time, they take a lot of liberties. And Oh my goodness, when we get to the movie part of this, they took some liberties with this one. (laughs) I will get into more about the movie in a bit, but with this one, I will say I definitely preferred the book. I think I would have even if I had seen the movie first, although honestly, the movie by itself stands alone pretty well. Anyway, let's get into the book first, which was so very good. I honestly love young adult fiction. I know that I'm not really the audience, but honestly, they have some of the best storylines and characters. And plus, I write YA sometimes, so it does help me to read it, you know? <laughs> I honestly think that it is a genre that, while it is for young adults, it appeals to adults as well. Just good stuff. Anyway, this is the story of Marin, a girl born with a terrible problem. <laughs> When she is three years old, she devours her babysitter, just eats her, and from then on, her and her mother's life on the run begins. It comes over her unexpectedly, but it tends to be brought on by people loving her and wanting to be close to her. Each time it happens, they pack up immediately and move. They have very few possessions, and it all fits in a car. So, Not the greatest life, you know? (laughs) I'm going to put a spoiler warning here because I will be discussing some of the details of the plot. And if you want to read it and haven't yet, I would definitely skip ahead a little bit. There are some really surprising moments. I'm not going to talk about all of them, though, so I won't totally ruin the book if you do listen. (laughs) Anyway, at 16, Marin wakes up the morning after her birthday, which was a truly perfect day. But when she wakes up the next morning, she finds that her mom has left. She took everything she owned, or as Marin put it, everything she loved she took with her. I found that, like, just kind of gut-wrenching. Ugh, what a line. <laughs> <laughs> so she leaves Marin a ticket to the town where her absent father is from, as well as Marin's birth certificate. And this is where she sees her dad's name for the first time. She's never known it. But instead of going to try to find him, Marin goes to the town where she knows her grandparents live, her mom's parents, because she believes that her mom will have gone there. And she's right. She watches them through their picture window as they sit down to dinner. Marin's mom is sobbing, and after dinner, she sits with her father smoking silently, which Marin's never seen her mom smoke before. I do wonder how the character of Marin's mom would sit with younger people. I personally could really sympathize from the start, but the book doesn't really lay out the mother's struggle until a little later on. And even then, Marin is convinced that her mother never loved or wanted her. I just wonder if she's more of a villain to people younger and without kids. Just curious. And I'm not trying to say that all moms are wonderful and love their children and want their children. We know that's not true. Um, <laughs> anyway, Marin decides to leave her mom alone and not confront her, and she begins to wander around this unknown town. Eventually, she ends up meeting Sully, who is another eater, someone like her, which she didn't know there was anyone like her. She thought she was the only one. He's kind and friendly, and he helps her better accept and understand her condition. They part on good terms, and Maren hitchhikes for a while with a girl. The girl gets pissed because Marin doesn't have enough gas money for the ride that she agreed to pay half for, and the girl ditches her at Walmart. So here is where she meets Lee, who is another eater. He has already accepted what he is, and he's very matter-of-fact about it, he helps Marin deal with the denial that she's having about what she is and how her life is going to be. He's kind of harsh with her, but I, she kind of needs it, you know? Like she's very much in denial that her life has to be different, but it obviously does. <laughs> this is part of why I love this book. It is really a coming of age story that also involves accepting all of the parts of who you truly are, like even some of the, like, terrible parts. (laughs) And I think this kind of thing is why I love young adult fiction. I'm going to leave it there. I really want to tell you all of these surprising moments in this wonderful book, but I really do suggest you read it. It's a short one, which I like. I used to be so into how many pages a book was, like it was some kind of competition, but with the little time I have to read now, short is great. Plus, while I really enjoy a great well-worded description, I get really distracted and bored when there are pages upon pages of description. I'm looking at you, grapes of wrath. <laughs> I like creating my own pictures of what everything looks like. I'm also neurospicy, which may have a lot to do with that too. I'm sure some people enjoy having the picture painted for them. Anyway. <laughs> Marin continues to search for beauty in life, even with the horror that she brings to the world, and there's something really beautiful about that. I would definitely check out Bones and All by Camille DeAngelis. It is fantastic. Now it's time for a quick break, and I will be back in a bit to discuss the movie version of Bones and All and do a little comparison. It is wild. <laughs> be right back. Welcome back, book lovers. So really quick, I want to discuss the movie based on Bones and all, and I'm going to say loosely based. (laughs) Other than a few characters and a few vague locations, there is almost nothing that is the same in the movie version as compared to the book. (laughs) And it starts out immediately. Instead of a mother-daughter pairing, they changed it to her father, and I think it lost something right there. It changed the entire dynamic. Now, I will admit that I was a bit annoyed by this, but I continued on. And then she meets Sully. Same name, but played just so weird. It just wasn't right. Like, it just wasn't, it wasn't the same character. Uh, Not to mention that none of the plot points were the same for this meeting. And it was a scene in the book that I really enjoyed, so I did find that disappointing. But at this point, I was also fascinated just by the massive changes that they had decided to make. And this is when I decided to watch this as a completely different thing. Just a movie on its own. (laughs) And honestly, it's a pretty decent movie. It is odd, but I really enjoyed it. I really wonder how it would be to watch this without having read the book. I tried to get my kids and my husband to watch it uh, before the rental on Prime ran out, but they didn't do it. (laughs) I just really want someone's opinion who has watched it and hasn't seen the book. Because there was a lot of missing background information. And because I'd read the book, I knew where certain random things were coming from. But I have no idea, like, if you hadn't read the book, if that stuff makes sense. Or if this was just a fever dream of a movie. (laughs) Because it kind of seems like one. I don't know. Anyway, it was interesting to see a young adult novel get turned into a R-rated horror movie. Um, like I said, both of them were enjoyable, but they are nowhere near the same thing. I would recommend both of them, though. Very good. (laughs) All right, so this week's quote of the week is a bit different. I am going to share a description of a character from Bones and All because I just loved it. It so perfectly encompasses the character to me. She's a girl working at a county fair at a baseball toss game, and she's nasty. And in the book, she is described like this. She couldn't have been more than 16, but there was too much experience written on her face. It wasn't the eyeliner. Someone had been very cruel to her, not just once, but over a period of years. And now she was going to pay it forward. I mean, she's just so good. It's so brief, but it just paints the whole picture of that character. And I just love it. <laughs> anyway, Now it's time for a new chapter of my own creation, my weekly writing project. This is book two of my Verdant Valley series, currently titled Ocean Eyes, and this week is chapter 16. Enjoy. The door opened slowly, revealing an opulent room of greens and golds. The walls were more of a pearly white, and glowed in the flickering light from the fire that burned in the golden hearth. The room was adorned with soft, plush furniture, and large cushions littered the floor by the fire. One massive, golden-patterned cushion was propped up against the wall near the hearth, and seated upon it was a lanky young man with shaggy blonde hair. His long legs were clad in gold, slim-fitting pants and crossed at the ankle. His shirt was also golden and open almost to his navel. He held an odd, golden-stringed instrument against his tan skin and strummed it gently. He cast a quick glance in Yada's direction and smiled a little. He hummed a beautiful, though solemn, melody. He met her eyes and held them until he had wrapped up his song. The notes pierced Yada deeply. She felt tears brimming in her eyes, but she refused to let them fall. Even faced with this beautiful young man, she was highly aware of everything around her. The song pulled at her and tried to soothe her and make her sleepy. Yada didn't trust it and she fought to keep her wits while holding this man's liquid gold gaze. He gave in first. Hello there, he said with an easy grin. How may I help you? Yada hesitated. She wasn't sure how to answer him. I came in, um, she stammered. Her cheeks were hot, and she pointed a trembling finger behind her to the door. She was so embarrassed. Not at all the facade she'd been hoping to put on. Through the cave? Really? His eyes were wide. That's not something many can do. I'm impressed. He strummed the instrument again. The note floated up and seemed to hang in the air above them. Even after the sound had faded, Yada could feel the vibration on her skin. Where am I? She asked finally. The young man looked thoughtful for a moment. That's not an easy one to answer, he said Finally. There are spaces between the worlds. They're not available to most, but if you have the strength, you can use them to jump between the worlds. What's in these other worlds? Yada was wary of this strange young man. Why would someone want to go elsewhere? The young man shrugged. No clue. I am a guard for the in-between spaces, an assistant for any who chooses to travel here. I remain here at all times. He stood up slowly and stretched his arms overhead. He was even taller than Yada had expected. The top of her head only came up to his chest. She was face to face with his tan abs. He crossed the room and placed the instrument reverently in a silk-lined case. He patted the strings before closing and latching the case. Then he peered through his honey-colored hair and gave her another brilliant grin. So Yada, how can I help? Wait, she said. I didn't tell you my name. The young man ran his hand through his shiny locks and grinned sheepishly. Yeah, he said slowly. I have certain skills to help me assist travelers of the in-between. Names, sometimes general needs. Anything that can expedite the process, you know? Yada just stared at him. You're a tough one, though, he said. He actually cocked his head to one side and examined her long enough to make the blush return to her cheeks. It took me this long to get your name, and I can't see a glimmer of what kind of help you need. Absolutely nothing. Who says I need help? Yada hated the bristly tone she heard in her voice. The young man laughed and tossed his golden mane. Everyone needs something, he said gently. I just want to help. When she didn't answer, he crossed the room and took her hands in his. He leaned down and looked her in the eye. Look, I understand how hard it can be to trust. I know how hard it is to ask for help. Tell you what, I can either help you with whatever it is you need, or I can show you the way back to the cave. You can go home right now, if you wish. Yada thought about the cave and the electrified fence, the unseen man and his haunting voice. There was no going back. What do I call you? She asked finally. You want so badly to help me, but I don't even know your name. How can I trust someone I don't know? To be fair, you won't know me any better for knowing my name, but it's Riff. Yada kept her face blank, but he seemed to see her thoughts anyway. I know, he groaned. It's bad. No, Yada tried to protest, but Riff held up his hand. Please, it's not what I would have chosen, but I've lived with it this long. He clapped his hands abruptly. Now you know my name, Yada. Let me help you. I'm not even sure what I need, she said quietly. I don't know what I'm doing here. Riff laughed. He tapped on the wall and a door slid open. Yada could see a stone spiral staircase in the shadows beyond. Oh boy, well, all right. Let's go grab some food and we'll try to figure it out. Don't worry, Yada. I like a challenge. Rhea jumped when a door slammed in the darkness. Heavy footsteps clumped across the floor toward her. She scooted back until her back was pressed against the wall. She could feel the large ring that held the chains pressing into her hip. The footsteps stopped not far from her. Ria waited for whatever was coming next, but her captor just stood there. She could hear his faint breath and the subtle shift of his stance. What do you want? She asked finally. She hated how weak her voice sounded, how frightened. There was no response, maybe a slight quickening of his breath. Rhea tried as hard as she could to will her sight back, though she knew it was a useless endeavor. No matter how powerful she had once been, she was next to useless now. Just say something, she screamed. She thrashed against her chains and struggled to pull apart her wrists. The pain was intense, and she cried out like an injured animal. You need to calm down, her captor said softly. Rhea screamed and thrashed in frustration. She fought uselessly against her bonds until the pain became unbearable, and she slumped against the wall. That's better, the man said after a moment. They sat in silence for a while longer. Rhea was crying silently. She didn't dare to make a sound. Here. The voice was much closer. Rhea jumped as he suddenly wiped her cheek. She banged the back of her head against the wall, trying to back away from his unexpected touch. Hold still, he murmured irritably. He grabbed her chin and held her head in place. He dried the rest of her tears and cleaned up her face. He pushed her hair back and tucked it behind her ears. He leaned in closer and whispered in her ear. His breath was hot on her neck. I need you to remember, he said softly. His steps retreated swiftly and she heard the door shut behind him. He didn't lock it this time, and she was just beginning to consider how to get free when the man returned. There was a splashing sound of liquid hitting the floor. Rhea could smell it immediately. Then she heard the scratch of a match. A sucking roar followed. Flames were crackling somewhere in the room with her. Rhea could feel the growing heat, and the sweat began to drip down her back. Please, she cried out, don't! She knew she had no right to ask for mercy. She had unwittingly mimicked the words of another. The thing her captor wanted her to remember. Rhea and Mar, as Marina had been called back then, hadn't always used their powers for good. They were young, comparatively, and they didn't think about what it could mean later on. The future was just an idea, not something that would eventually come to be. They worked for decades for a high-ranking family in the Southern Valley. Then there was an uprising. The Southerners wanted to secede and become their own separate realm. The destruction during the planting of the peace tree had destroyed their crops and livelihoods and they felt they gained very little. They barely had any magic to start with, and most had only practiced simple spells to help their crops grow. The family they worked for held a lot of status and power in the valley, and they didn't want to lose it. They sent Rhea and Mar to change minds by any means necessary. They paid extra for the use of extreme violence. It was a dark time. Rhea and Mar had regretted it in the end. They had taken it too far, way too far, even for them. Even though the family paid extra. And that's what he wanted her to remember. Rhea's second sight was beginning to glitch. It had only happened a few times, and they'd been minor issues, nothing important. That night, it failed in a major way. They adorned themselves all in black and moved like shadows through the night, The village was quiet. Most of the huts were abandoned. There had been a warning that morning. The smart ones left. They moved through the village, lighting huts on fire from the torches they carried. The huts went up fast and burned hot. There was an occasional occupant, mostly men from the village who stupidly planned to defend their homes. They were no match for the children of death and their magic. The men slept while their homes burned around them. Ria remembered laughing as the fires burned all around them. Mar was grinning and dancing in the light. She looked wild. They both did. They were wild in those days, running from their pasts and their responsibilities. For a time it had all gone so well, and then it all fell apart. They burned all but two of the huts that night. The final fire was different. Rhea hadn't seen it coming. She should have, but her powers had failed her. They didn't know anything was amiss until they heard the screams. A child. One family stayed. They had defied the warning. Children in the Southern Valley were magical creatures. Most lost their powers by their early teens, but the younger ones were quite powerful. Rhea met Mars' horrified look with one of her own. The realization hit them both at the same time no mar cried she tried to run into the burning hut but ria dove for her and tackled her to the ground mar fought her but ria was stronger she dragged mar away from the fires and slapped her until she calmed down and stopped screaming by then the child had stopped screaming as well they ran that was the turning point for both of them they only worked for good after that they agreed to never again use their powers for evil no matter the cost. I remember, she said softly. She was crying. The room was growing horribly hot and her skin was tight and slick with sweat. Rhea tried to take a deep breath and coughed from the smoke. She leaned her head against the ring, holding her chains, and waited for death. And that is the end of chapter 16 and the end of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this one. If you did, please give it a rating wherever you are listening to this podcast and share it with your friends. They might enjoy some good Books and Cats chat, too. If you're looking for more short horror fiction, I do have a new collection of horror stories out right now. It is called 333 AM, and it is full of monsters, both human and non. <laughs> you can find it on Amazon as well as at frapmedia.com. And you can find all of my other writing also at Frap Media. I greatly appreciate your support, and I really appreciate you all for listening. Thank you so much. Take care of yourselves, book lovers, and have a beautiful week. And until next time, keep reading. Frap Media Production.